0: Hey everyone, uh, starting the show with a uh, heavier discussion again, second second episode running. Um, we just wanted you to know that we've seen the reports of toxic behaviour from uh, our former co-host Ginny Wu. Though each account has shocked us, we believe every single one of them. Uh, regular listeners will know that Ginny hasn't appeared on the show since September 2019. Uh, she had stopped communicating with us on all staff channels and we'd heard nothing from her since that time. Uh, we reached out periodically to ask if she was okay, to see if there was anything we'd done wrong, and, and to keep her up to date with the changes to the show, uh, but we never got a response. While we were aware of personal issues affecting Jenny around September last year, uh, we have no idea if that sudden change relates to what's come out in the past few days. We feel devastated for anyone affected by her actions obviously, uh, more stuff has come out uh, since we've you know first found out about everything. So yeah Uh, as we hadn't known the circumstances around her departure we had been purposely vague uh, about her absence from the show given the recent events we thought it'd be important to clarify for our audience the exact circumstances of jenny's departure Uh, we had wanted the door open should she decide to return uh, but now we consider that door closed Uh, so with that let's get right on with the show Hey, latest Switch news, there was the uh, Pokemon Direct, which we didn't write any notes down for. Um, not that much related to Switch, but there did seem to be a bit of a, a puzzler coming out, uh, like a Pokemon cafe game that's on the, the pre-order list. Anything from that announcement prick your interest, Andrew?
1: Honestly, I've already forgotten that there was a Pokemon Direct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it, <laughs> it was just about the Isle of Armor mostly, which... Yeah. Uh, you know, came out and we're going to talk about it. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, some 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 Pokemon uh, Go stuff. There was this, you know, like free to play puzzler or free to start, as as Nintendo call it. And um, they did tease another announcement for next week, which everyone is uh, hypothesizing is Let's Go Johto, based on the chosen Pokemon plushies in the background. Uh, that could be a thing. Though we'll eagerly await for that. Um, but other than that, we just played a lot, well, you've played a lot, so we'll jump right into that stuff. Okay, Andrew, talking of Pokemon Sword and Shield, uh, hell of a segue there. Uh, The Island of Armour came out in this last week. Now, you're angry at me because I didn't pick it up. Uh, My reasoning was I had to buy either that or Burnout, and I opted for Burnout, which I I think now is the right decision, because we're going to talk about that very shortly you've played through the, the base pokemon sword and shield game twice uh, neither case were you particularly enamored with it uh, but by all accounts from seeing your twitter um the the dlc seems to be what you wanted from that base game are you still enjoying it
1: well i've gotten kind of buried in new releases so uh <laughs> i i haven't finished it yet but the day it came out and the day after that, it was basically all I did was play uh, the Isle of Armor because <laughs> I complained about the base game being very linear with really nothing to explore and lots of straight lines with really no side paths to look down, like which is ridiculous for a Pokemon game because <laughs> even, even the past ones... While they have been fairly limited in their design, they're still very much existing in, in the Game Boy era. There's still places to explore, but Sword and Shield didn't even have that. I, I was very mm. disappointed with how unambitious Sword and Shield was, and especially the wild area, which I felt was just a, a big open field with really nothing in it except grass and max raid battles. Nothing to find, nothing to explore. The Isle of Armor is completely... <laughs> addressed all of those complaints because it, the Isle of Armor is just one large, open, wild area. It, it's not just a big square. It's several biomes put together. When you come out, you're just in this little beach area, and then you connect to that. There's, there's a forest, and there's a swamp, and there's multiple caves that you can go through. Uh, it, it's not a very large area but I, I shouldn't condemn it for that. It, it, for a DLC, it's actually a pretty good chunk of stuff. When you first arrive, you meet your new rival for the area, and th- this part of the game is pretty shallow, actually. Uh, there, there is a, a story, but it's very short. If you focus on just following the quest goals, it's all doable in about an hour. But you meet your rival, who works at this local dojo and he he's kind of arrogant doesn't really want to do anything at least in my version um i think people in in sword will have a different rival but i, I had this psychic type guy wearing a top hat with the uh, with the pokeballs float around his top hat which was kind of a fun design but the character itself was just pretty bland <laughs> But uh, that's really not the draw here. The draw here is the new area, the new the new wild type area to explore, which actually has 151 Alolan Diglets hidden in it. And the more of those <laughs> Diglets you find, then this guy who's visiting from the Alolan region will actually give you Alolan type Pokemon. So I, I got I haven't found all the Diglets yet because. Some of them are very hard to find. There's like one Diglet in each area that still eludes me for the most part. And I'm wondering if I need to get some kind of ability to find them because it's it's very strange that there's exactly one in most area that I'm yet to find. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, that also addresses another complaint that I had with the base game, but there, there's nothing to discover. There's nothing hidden in it. There's uh, 151 Alolan Diglets so It's very much in the spirit of the Koroks in Breath of the Wild. Uh, I love hunting for Koroks. It, it doesn't have the creativity of Koroks. There's not like... you don't have to find you know some clue that there's a, a diglet in the area and solve the puzzle to make it appear. You just find the diglet because Alolan Diglets have these three little hairs sticking out of the top of their head and that's all you can see. So that, that's really what you're hunting for is those three little hairs and They're just stuck in corners or hidden in foliage or something, but it's still a lot more engaging than the base game, which had nothing. (laughs) But after you've defeated your rival and humbled your rival and he resolves to actually, you know, work towards being a productive member of this dojo, then you get your kubfu, who is the reward for being... The dojo's best trainer. And then you can go into the the Tower of Water or in the Tower of Shadows. And whichever tower you finish determines how your Cub Fu evolves and what your Cub Fu's abilities are when it evolves. And that's where I'm stuck because when you get your Cub Fu, uh, it's at level 10. And I had already beaten the game. So there's some confusion about how level scaling works on the Isle of Armor. <laughs> there were quite a few articles on, on news sites about exactly how it worked, but basically when I got to the Isle of Armor, most things were level 60. I got my Kubfu, it was at level 10, so I had to grind my Kubfu up before I could do those towers, and that was when other new releases came out, so I haven't finished that yet. But just solely based on my complaints about the base game, uh, how there's nothing to explore, how it's just very linear straight lines and squares, basically. This is very much the game that I wanted, you know, I'm really looking forward to the Crown Tundra coming out in the latter half of the year, and if the next Pokémon game is just this, but ten times bigger, I'm gonna be thrilled.
0: Yeah, I did see some shouts that said uh, the development cycle is, like, really short, uh, and that's possibly why this one wasn't, like, the base game wasn't the big open world uh, thing that everyone wanted. Um, I reckon that's a fair shout, especially considering the way the deal they'll see has gone. Um, I, I know you were saying, like, why wasn't the base game like this? Uh, there is a, an outside chance this is stuff that had to get cut because of time constraints. Um, it was probably, like, uh,
1: we're, we're spitballing here, I'm spitballing here, but it was probably because they, they were too buried in bringing the, the Pokemon over into the new engine. Mm-hmm. They were too busy designing yeah. Pokemon. To, as I said, when the game came out. There are too many Pokemon. Just just cut them out. Have 150. Again, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, people would freak if they did that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh,
0: and I think this is the one where my uh, my anime son, Dedenne, is back.
1: I haven't found it, but I haven't been looking. No.
0: <laughs> hmm. Uh, yeah. So how long would you say the, the story stuff is?
1: About an hour, maybe two hours. To finish the story, but like if you're actually, you know, exploring, because there's a lot more to the island to explore than you really have to actually do to Mm -hmm. finish that story, 10 plus hours to do everything.
0: Okay. Uh, That um, makes it mentally easier for me to schedule it in, I think. Uh, Now that you say that, I thought it was going to be like a really long. You know, good chunk of DLC, but yeah, when you say, you know, it's one big wild area, then, you know, a lot of that you fill out the time yourself by exploring and, and finding its secrets and things. Um, so, yeah, well, well, that's positive. I'm, I'm glad uh, you found something of joy with this entry of Pokemon. Um, weird situation with the DLC being split for both. Sword and Shield—I've seen that's caused people some confusion, and Nintendo have had to refund people so they can buy the correct version for their game. Um, that seems like it was uh, and a completely avoidable situation from uh, the Pokemon company there.
1: Yeah, uh, it's like it, it only happened because they're still releasing two versions of Pokemon. There's no reason. Mm-hmm in 2020 to still be doing two different versions of pokemon just release one version and randomize the pool of pokemon when the player starts the new game the hardware mm-hmm. is totally powerful enough to do that and software is totally sophisticated enough to be doing that now just yeah <laughs> i'm once again challenging what pokemon should be today which
0: nintendo is unwilling <laughs> to do but anyway <laughs> uh so i got here that you finished bug fables the everlasting sapling
1: i did finish it
0: yes Cool. So how, how were your closing thoughts on that one? We made much
1: hay in our last recording where we talked about Bug Fables, maybe that was two episodes back, now I don't remember, yeah. about how much it was like Paper Mario, and it really is. Uh, that, that's a way that I think you could approach it, but the more I played it, the more I realized how unlike Paper Mario it actually is. There's a lot more strategy <laughs> and a lot more thought involved because of the way character development works. Uh, I, I mentioned mm-hmm. how in Paper Mario, when you upgrade your health, you get five hit points. In Bug Fables, when you upgrade your health, you only get one hit point for each character. Mm. Uh, so you really have to strategize a lot more because you're not gonna have as much health to work with. And uh, the same thing goes for TP, uh, which is your 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 mana resource, your your magic resource. And Paper Mario, you get five points for every level up again in this game you get one point for every time you level up and honestly uh, I never saw the point so I never actually upgraded my characters TP and I just I kept it capped out with items and uh, with badges Uh, badges really seemed to be where the strategy was that was where most of my level up points went was into new badges so I could get my character's skills powered up and so I could get them the, the really fancy skills that require a lot of badge points to use. Like, once I got an ability that at the end of every battle, I regenerate some of my TP, uh, I, my strategies really changed, because then I could use my character's skills in almost every battle. As you get to the end of the game, it just gets a lot more epic. Eh, that, that, that's unfair to Paper Mario, actually. Paper Mario, especially the Thousand Year Door, got pretty epic at the end, but <laughs> uh, there's a lot more focus on on character and actually politics (laughs) the uh the ant kingdom that you play that you work for that your team works for in this it seems pretty you know benevolent and and cosmopolitan at the outset but it has this kind of dark side to it as well that you kind of sense is there and as the game goes on you start to see the problems that this kingdom actually has with its neighbors and the dark side is certainly there, but it, it doesn't go in the direction that you first think it does when you meet the queen and see the way the queen acts, because the way the queen is acting uh, is actually—has a, a pretty good reason that is is quite different from— at the outset where you you probably expect her to to turn evil and power hungry it, it goes a different direction this was a much smarter game a much deeper game than i was i was really expecting it to be i figured it would just be you know indie paper mario uh, uh, way too too drunk on what paper mario was and a way too beholden to the idea of what paper mario fans want a game to be it takes a little while to get there but it very much goes in its own direction i was really impressed with bug fables
0: Nice. Uh, another good segue. The the poli- uh, political side of uh, the Buck Kingdom. We uh, can then move over to uh, the p- political side of uh, you know our world. Uh, so I've been checking out uh, Liberated, uh, which was one of my picks from uh, the last uh, Nindy Showcase. So I'm I've, I'm nowhere near finished. Uh, this is like pretty early. Uh, impressions. but um, So this is a cinematic platformer that's played inside a black and white graphic novel. Uh, The graphic novel sort of presentation has some like big Max Payne vibes if you remember the the intros from the original games. So the story plays out in the the panels of a comic. Big panels usually mean uh, playable sections uh, in which you use a mixture of gunplay and stealth to get through. The story focuses on this totalitarian world, Uh, so you, you start off in issue one as this character Uh, called Barry Edwards. He's on his way to an assessment but he misses it Uh, and this is how they sort of communicate how in control of its citizens the the government is in. He gets a text immediately from from the government titled Good Citizen uh, and advising him that he needs to return home and and wait for the authorities to turn up. Uh, So he runs home to scrub his computer and encrypt any incriminating uh, data uh, at which point the police come in and take him in. He gets rescued by a group of Freedom fighters called the Liberated. Uh, they, they take him to like the the hidden base, uh, and from there you sort of branching out and trying to take down this uh, this fascist government. At the base, you meet some of the other characters. So there's a you know there's a couple of heavies. There's they've got the hacker stereotype uh, called Rick, uh, who actually invented the system that the government used to track everyone's movement Uh, it turns out that Barry's dad is the politician that was the one that decided to put it to uh, evil use naturally yeah, uh, after a tragic event I'm trying desperately hard to uh, steer away from spoilers here, but you, you go on a mission, it's kind of like... Uh, it, it gave me vibes of uh, Avalanche at the start of Final Fantasy VII, where they're going to you know, mess things up for the, the sake of the people. Uh, there's some anonymous-style stuff that happens... And then in issue two, you're playing as a veteran cop who's exploring a liberated hideout and you're, you're sort of tracking down uh, hard drives and things. Like, just from the comic book aesthetic, the graphic style, the way the story's playing out, this is all stuff that's uh, completely up my alley. Uh, where it's letting itself down is in the gameplay itself. This tends to be a, a trait with cinematic platformers, broadly speaking. Uh, So the stealth stuff you sort of, you know, you hide in the background similarly to something like Mark of the Ninja Where you get your, you know, your stealth kills from the shadows Uh, But playing like that is really slow Uh, Short way and you get given a gun Uh, the gunplay is pretty boring like you'll See the uh, the enemies like cone of vision they use the you know the torches to highlight how far far away the enemies can see Uh, if you shoot at them uh, they will just run at you and just you know just keep shooting away and it's just a race between who gets the kill first let me do that bit again when you die you just sort of uh, go back to the last checkpoint which is you know the checkpoints pretty regular Uh, so particularly from the combat and the the, gunplay it's not that interesting Um, they haven't given me. Anything in way of you know different weapons to try and you know mix things up. There doesn't seem like there's much change up of that combat mechanic. Um, there are some light like, puzzle elements that you'll you'll trigger throughout. There are also this annoying uh, quick time events uh, cutscenes, um, which from what I can tell don't really change much. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at at the moment. Like the aesthetic is wonderful. The story is pretty decent, although it's a bit cliched and, and predictable. Uh, the gameplay is the thing that's lending it down the one thing i will say is interesting seeing this take of uh, fascism in uh, 2020 uh, with all that's going on in the world uh, that that whole plot point of like the creator of a system realizing what it's being used for and then going rebel like i'm pretty sure there was a story where that was happening recently and i can't remember what the technology was so, yeah so there's it's all this stuff that should be like you know Far-flung future stuff that hits home a little <laughs> too raw in twenty twenty. Uh, looking forward to cracking on more with that. It, you know, just dis- despite its shortfalls, I'm I'm enjoying it enough. Like it's it's compelling enough that I want to keep going through it. Uh, no idea how long it is. I can't imagine it's going to be that long a game. Uh, especially with its uh, issue structure. I think it would get old pretty quickly if they they dragged it on too long. Uh, I'll keep you posted on that, and hopefully have it finished by the next time we record. Okay, so you've been playing Down to Hell. I think you you mentioned this one last time we recorded.
1: I said I thought it looked really cool, and then I started playing it and realized this is not the game that I thought it was. (laughs) A few years back, I think it was in an indie direct, there was this side-scrolling combat game set in... Some kind of dark fantasy environment was shown, and I thought it looked really brutal, but really cool. Like, it it was all about—it was side-scrolling Dark Souls, I'm sure. But anyway, I thought it looked cool, and I thought this was that game. This was not (laughs) that game. (laughs) (laughs) Down to Hell stars this really unpleasant character who basically just goes around killing things because he thinks he can— Uh, because he thinks he's capable of it and so he he eventually starts fighting demons and he gets saved by this girl one day and he he, she gets captured by demons seconds later and he he rather resentfully goes after her and he's grumbling about it constantly he's not happy and as he goes along on his rescue mission uh, he he gets kind of derailed from it. it becomes apparent quickly that he's much more focused on on killing the demons than on saving this person Uh, but i'm giving this game a lot more credit for the how interesting its plot is than it really is i got to the end of this game i beat a boss and then it said chapter three coming soon and i was like yeah sure it is (laughs) (laughs) but even just the fact that the game is unfinished doesn't help that it's just a pretty bad game uh it doesn't control very well uh it's an ugly game. It's kind of it's very hard to see sometimes. Uh, enemies have like these red hit point bars above their heads. Pretty standard. Uh, but the mm-hmm. game also uses a really aggressive red light in some areas so I literally could not see that hit point beater a lot of the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, level design is really boring. Uh, the first couple levels are literally just run from the left to the right. I thought that was going to be the entire game and then I got to the second batch of levels and there actually were kind of things to explore uh, but still wasn't very large, wasn't very interesting. And as you're exploring you can find like demon gates that you can open up and if you can beat a gauntlet or some kind of challenge, although every challenge basically was kill everything, uh, variations on that, then a crate would drop. You could open the crate and there would be upgrades inside for your various skills. I, I really only ever used the basic attacks and beat the whole game. And there's also a dash attack, so you can dash through enemies and avoid their attacks. That was necessary on a few bosses. The bosses were probably the most interesting part of the game, because they did require some effort and some analyzing of their mechanics to beat them, but they still weren't that interesting, and they were all soundtracked by this, this really grading you know black metal soundtrack and as I was playing this I, I realized that black metal is is kind of the soundtrack of mediocrity so uh, <laughs> <laughs> down to hell was uh, it was another bargain game I got and it, it wasn't one of the good ones you know I, I realized a lot of those I've played I've actually given you know fairly positive reviews especially considering what they cost but this is not one of them this game very much feels like it's price tag. <laughs> this was a bad game. <laughs> I think this would be one of the worst games i played for the podcast.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so but did you have a better time with the Coma Recut? I did. I did have a better time with the
1: Coma Recut. My hesitation there was not because I didn't. Just trying to think what to say <laughs> to get started on it. A few people had mentioned good things about the Coma Recut. I, I don't want to say that I had heard positive vibes because I actually hadn't heard much about this game, but one or two people had mentioned they had a good time with it. So, I saw there was a sequel on the eShop now, so I thought I've had this game for a while. It, it, it looked interesting when I bought it, so mm-hmm. I think I will check it out finally. Although, I, I should preface this entire thing with uh, this game is no longer on the eShop. Uh, so, <laughs> if... if uh, Yeah, it got pulled at some point. Uh, it was there what? one day, because I, I pulled uh, the the title page screenshot off the eShop for our first hour video and then when I checked it again a few days later, it was not there. Uh, So, yeah, if what I'm about to say sounds at all interesting, you probably want to look at the sequel, which looks to be a much bigger game, uh, because that is out now, but unless things have changed in the past couple days, this game is no longer on the eShop, and I don't know why, Uh, but The Coma is a survival horror kind of monster being chased by monsters game. It's set in a Korean high school, Uh, you play as a student who's about to take his tests, his exams, and these state exams in Korea are really, really, really important, they do literally determine your future, Uh, so there's a lot of pressure on him, and... While he's sitting down to take his test, he passes out, and when he wakes up, he finds himself in this kind of shadow dimension version of his school, in a, a place called the coma. And as he gets up and starts exploring the school, it, it basically looks like his school, but everything looks like it's nighttime, and there are a few things that are just wrong, including one of the first things living things he encounters is a monster version of his teacher that is trying to kill him so a lot of the game is spent running away from this this version of his teacher who gets progressively scarier like her hair turns into tentacles and at the start she has a box cutter which is you know that can do some damage but it doesn't deal that much damage but by the end of the game she's got a fire axe and she can kill you in two hits (laughs) yeah so the entire game is (laughs) navigating this school trying to figure out why this character has been pulled into the coma and how to get out and along the way there are side quests you can do because there are a few other students who exist in the coma in some form or another i don't want to talk about that part of the game too much because it's probably the most interesting part of the story is is figuring out exactly how this world works and who these people in here really are um But if you work with these characters and do your side quests, you can actually improve your character's grades, which determines the ending you get. And I I did really enjoy this game for its first two-thirds. Then the last third is when the monster got really powerful, really hard to evade, and the school turned into a maze. It, It turned into like a, a chaos maze, like you go through a door, and that door doesn't lead to where it shows on the map it should, it takes you somewhere else entirely, so I, I had to figure out which door I was actually supposed to go through, through brute force, and just through randomness, it, it really sucked all of the entertainment out of the game for me, because trying to navigate a maze like that while you're being chased by something that can kill you in two or three hits, it's just not a good time. I've complained about this before. I'm just not a fan of the, the being chased by the unkillable monster thing. This is very much that game. I thought it handled that aspect of itself well in the early parts because the monster didn't deal that much damage, and it wasn't that difficult to evade, but once I got to the chaos maze and there was really only one route forward which often meant there was no way to avoid the monster to get through it i just had to run past her and then heal up i lost my my admiration for the game uh it really went downhill in that last part which disappointed me but overall still i think it was a decent enough game like uh, certainly wouldn't be the only game i've ever played where i didn't think the ending was very good <laughs> yeah and when uh I'll definitely be looking at the sequel at some point. Not right away, but it's one I'll grab in the future. The first game made a positive enough impression on me. Um, I'm interested to see what they could do with, I'm sure, a bigger budget and with more experience. Because it's a cool idea. I just don't think the execution was fully execute it.
0: Uh, I just booted up my Switch Lite just to see if it was still on the Australian store. Uh, no, it's gone, and only the sequel remains. Yeah, So I
1: don't know what happened, but uh, I'm sure it's you can still get it on Steam, or I'm sure you can still get it other places, mm-hmm. but it's not on the eShop.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a shame. So just before we move on to the the big release this week that's not Pokemon, a couple of updates. So XCOM has really got its claws in me, so I've, I've gotten over that initial portion of being overwhelmed. Um, it is a game just full of like really, you know. Every time you're just faced with a difficult decision, whether it's you know which which urgent mission you need to attend to, and weighing up the uh, the consequences of, of skipping uh, the ones you don't do because they can give the enemy you know additional benefits and, and power ups and things. Um, but uh, the 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 big stress is the the project avatar progress. Like every t- every like month that goes up a bit and you can uh, you know you can do certain missions to sort of bring that level back down to buy yourself more time um, so I just had a situation where I was I was forced to jump into like into a mission that was labeled uh, high difficulty um, but the weird thing was I, I found that a much easier mission than some of the ones that were cost as moderate um, no idea I don't know if it's just that I'm learning the tactics better or whether it was just more of a straightforward mission and uh yeah so i think because i'd been sticking to like the moderate level ones or the the just the ones that cost as difficult uh while i was still finding my feet so now i feel like that that's less of a barrier like I, i'm gonna pay less attention to those difficulty markings because yeah that the one that I did that was high difficulty was just, like, the easiest mission I've had in the game so far. But yeah, that's about it. I'm still, I'm slowly chipping away at that. I'm about to do my uh, assault on one of the the Chosen Generals' palace, which will take them out of the game for good, and leave me with only two more to deal with, so that'll be nice, because they're a constant pain in the backside. Um, And, uh, remember we were discussing Mutant Year Zero, uh, and I was on about, my strategy was to sort of Go through the areas and thin out the population before tackling like the main event of each mm. map. Uh, I'm on the last uh, mission of the of the core game, and that is just not letting me do that. So I'm having a tough time. That uh, so I, I've huh. I've managed to clear out one pocket without getting uh, alerting like the the more difficult enemies, but there's like two robotic enemies that are just like bang in the middle. One of them's a med bot, which is annoying, and one of them's the gigantic mech that will just destroy you. So <laughs> uh yeah, having a tough time in that final one, but I I'm, I think I'm on the verge of of getting it now, that I've taken out at least one portion of what was causing me trouble. I think there was some
1: kind of ammo I had equipped that gave like a 50% chance to bust a a, a mech type. Yeah. I think that was what I did. For 3 turns. Yeah. yeah, I've got that and I'm, yeah. I'm
0: loaded with grenades as well so I can take them out for three turns at least those med bots were just in the early game they gave me a bunch of hassles yeah so still chipping away at that on on the light um it's only slow progress because i'm only playing it like in bed before i go to sleep so yeah uh yeah so uh, let's move on to burnout paradise remastered came out this week um i was fully expecting to have to buy this uh, as a digital purchase uh, i didn't realize there was a physical copy coming but I, I did manage to get one once i realized uh you never played this on the 360 or ps3 car game heck no <laughs> um i think i had it for like a week um and then i traded it in for something more story focused uh which now that i'm playing, ag- playing again is a uh, you know, feels like a massive mistake. So Burnout Paradise, it's an open world uh, take on the Burnout franchise. Burnout is famously more of an arcade-style racer. Uh, like, braking and cornering are, are less important. Uh, there's a big focus on smashing up the other cars around you in races. Like, like, all that's prevalent here, but it's... You have events littered around the map that sort of focus on different things. So you have standard races, which is where you just try and beat everyone to another area. There are stunts where you just try and chain together ridiculous things like jumps, flips and spins and and all that. And then there's the Road Rage ones which are more consistent with traditional uh, burnout gameplay. The game takes place in a place called Paradise City, uh, named after the uh, Guns N' Roses song, uh, which we'll talk more about them shortly. I don't know what it is, it's just a really fun racing game. Um, now, both me and you have talked about the the Hori wheels uh, before. Uh, we had talked briefly in a previous episode about you know whether we thought the wheel was going to work particularly well with this game. Uh, I think we've both had positive experiences with that now.
1: I haven't had to do all that much fiddling with mine, but I don't have the pro model like you do. I just have the mini, so I have fewer options. Mm-hmm. Uh, but aside from just deciding where... I want my accelerator and my brake to be. I've gone back and forth a few times. As far as actual functionality of my racing wheel, I've been really happy with how Burnout Paradise runs with it. I I fully expect I'll play this entire game with the racing wheel.
0: Nice. Uh, I've, just for the purposes of the the podcast, I've been uh, playing between wheel and pad just to see what the differences are. Both are absolutely great. Uh, So the pro pad, uh, sorry, pro wheel, stock settings and just moving the buttons around were the same for me. I have been playing with the shorter turning uh, radius, which seems to fit it pretty well. It's like um, The only problem I had was, because I, I think you were playing yeah, accelerate and brake on the pedals, on the gear up pedals.
1: I'm just not good with the pedals, like the actual gas pedal and the brake pedal. Yeah. I'm just... I think it's because of the shape of the table I'm using, because ideally you're supposed to be using both feet, mm-hmm. like we do with a real car, uh, but... Uh, I just i can't sit that way with the way my furniture is (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i I moved the accelerator to uh we should describe the wheel the racing wheel has these two big basically they're flipper buttons Mm -hmm. on the underside of the controller which are supposed to be for power sliding and activating uh your your weapon or your item in mario kart that's really what they're designed for i've moved the accelerate and the brake to the rear flippers that way i don't have to use the pedals on the floor at all, Uh, which is maybe a a little unlike driving a car now, but I I really just want the wheel. I don't (laughs) care too much about the pedals. Uh, The only problem I'm I'm really encountering with this choice is the handbrake, because the handbrake is assigned to the Y button by default, Mm -hmm. and pressing face buttons on the wheel is, it, it works, but not for something that you want to be using as often as your handbrake. Yep. So that's the main in- obstacle I'm encountering.
0: So, And uh, the way the drifting works in this game is pretty similar to Mario Kart, where you just, you know, you can tap the brake and your car will start the slide. It's, it's really, really easy to do and feels really fun. Um, with the pedals, I did find I couldn't get the feel of that as well as I could with the pad um, to sort of power slide around corners. Uh... I think I just need more practice with it, really. Uh, but works really great with the pad too, which I I feel like it's designed to be played that way. The the fact that the wheel works is just a nice um, bonus, and I'm glad there wasn't much configuration I needed to do with the buttons because this game has no control options at all. <laughs> so you're sort of stuck with what it gives you and what you can fit. It doesn't with.
1: have much options at all. No, like, I, I can't even find anywhere to turn subtitles on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, so probably a product of its era then when they were still figuring out accessibility but you know there, there is an argument that it's not really good enough when you're doing a remaster.
1: Have you played it offline at all? Like, I'm sure you played it portably um, but have you like played it out of the house at all because no. this game spends a lot of time communicating with servers. Mm-hmm. It took me several minutes just to get the game booted up because I had to link it with my EA account etc etc all that Mess of stuff. Uh, I, I am a little concerned about how this game is going to run away from an internet connection. Uh, I think it's going to spend a lot of time trying to connect to stuff before it'll actually let you play, which is annoying when you're just trying to boot a game up and play it.
0: Yeah. So interestingly, that when I first booted it up, it didn't ask me to to do the EA account thing. Uh, I did it the second time I booted it up, and then I skipped that, and then I didn't notice anything. Um, and I've had no. <laughs> I guess when I took it out of sleep mode, it gave me the you know the notification that the network had been disconnected, but it didn't seem to have an impact on my game at all. I know you can jump into like an online version of the world. Um, my memory on how that worked on 360 is really poor because I, I, I did not spend a lot of time with it, but
1: um, yeah, I'm still trying to beat the game, but I am interested to play that way because it sounds like that's where the real game is at Mm -hmm. Uh, like how the game works is at literally every intersection everywhere there's a stoplight (laughs) you can begin a new event there starting with a race uh and all the other events that andy described uh but the races i think are really where the the focus of the game is at Mm -hmm. and it's an open world so there's no route that you have to follow like when you're in a race your other racers there is a an prescribed route that they will follow that the developers made, but you're under no obligation to follow that route yourself. Uh, You just know where you start, you know where you have to end, and if you want to take a different road to get there, because there's a lot of shortcuts hidden around, which are all Mm -hmm. marked by these yellow gates that you just crash through, or even if you just want to take a different road then what the AI is prescribed is the route for this race. You're totally allowed to do that. And uh, there's an announcer who's always talking like DJ. I forgot his name, Uh, but there's a DJ who's always talking. He even says that it's like, it it doesn't matter how you get there. If you get there first, then you got there first you win. So that is really attractive to me as a, as a racing game where like, I'm not constantly staring at the map, making sure I'm following Mm -hmm. the GPS waypoint. I can get there any way I want. I love that.
0: Uh, I, I think it gives you a lot of good navigation tools. Like you've got the compass thing at the top showing you where you're facing in relation to your goal, mm-hmm. um, and also it's got you. It shows you the street sign for the street that you, you're on, and then when you come up, yeah. To working, and when you
1: approach an intersection, this is really cool. There's a the street sign for the turnoff street will yep. get closer and closer to the yeah. left and right, and when you get to where it's at, it'll be touching yes. the street sign in the middle. I think that's really cool. I've never seen that in any other game. I'd love to have a system like that in Grand Theft Auto for navigating. Yeah.
0: But my problem is that uh, such as my navigation in this game, I am constantly turning down the wrong path and ending up going counterproductive ways. <laughs> but yeah, me um,
1: too. Which uh well, luckily it's really easy to restart a race. Well, like you might imagine, like this is this is a well-known quality of this game. At this point, I've read about it, but you might imagine if you haven't played this game that restarting a race would involve a lot of loading it really doesn't actually (laughs) all you have to do is there's this really smart menu built on the d-pad it doesn't pause the game at all and it's actually pretty easy to navigate while you're driving which i i'm sure is the intention of this this menu but you just go to the restart race option by pressing right on the d-pad and you go down and click restart race And even if you lost the race all the way on the other side of the map, because most of the races do require you to go all the way to the other side of the map, Mm -hmm. uh, you just hit that restart button, two, three second load, you're back on the other side of the map and you're just zooming back across again. It's it's great. I mean, it's exactly what an open world racer needs. Mm -hmm. Like if I had to drive all the way back (laughs) to the race I just lost where it starts every time, that would get grating quickly.
0: Yeah, when when I've lost, I've just sort of gone to the nearest race. Uh, so yeah, and um, the the other good thing with the open world is it doesn't matter too much if you do take a wrong turn. Like it's one of those where no matter what happens, you always stand a good chance of being able to get back in front. Um, it's like really well balanced. I'm I'm finding I know, like I'm probably still in the uh, easier end of the the difficulty. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those you're never really out of it until. A car crosses the the finish line. What class is your license right now? Oh, I've gone up to, so I can't say I can't remember what the the letter was. But uh, mm. yeah, we should talk about that because that's that's the progression system, isn't it? In terms of, so you 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 do these you know races and events, and they each time you win one, uh, that takes you a step further to leveling up your license. And then when that happens, they clear all the races uh, and. You basically start again, and you, your goal, from what the DJ was saying, is that you you got to prove that you're the best driver in Paradise City. Yeah, like you
1: start off, you're going up through the letter grades, and mm. then the top grade is actually the, the burnout grade license, which mm. is what I'm on Class A right now. I think the next license rank is the burnout, and then once I finish the burnout license by finishing... However many events that takes to finish, then I've, I've beaten the game, air quotes, mm-hmm. but there's still more events to finish for 100% completion, and then finding all the shortcuts, because it does keep track of your shortcuts, and all the special jumps that are hidden throughout the map, and the, the billboards, there's billboards. Yeah. you have to crash through as well, so there's a lot of things, like, even if you're not doing the events... There's still a lot of things to explore. It's just a fun game to just drive around in. Mm -hmm. It's great. Like, this has, like, I, I have, I talk about story and characters a lot. I do love those things. They're what I'm, they're what my educational background is in, but things that really make me love a game, and Burnout Paradise has both of them, is a. Things to explore and things to unlock, and Burnout Paradise has two of those. Especially unlocking new cars. Have you unlocked any cars yet, Andy?
0: Yeah, I've l- unlocked a bunch. So um, there's two ways to do that. When you go up a, a level, particularly, uh, it'll put a, a new car in the map. And if you see it, if you smash them off the road, you'll unlock that car, uh, which you can then pick up at like a, a junkyard. Uh, now I did, I jumped into one of the junk, junkyards, and I already had a bunch of stuff there um there's like toy cars which are just life-size toy cars uh yeah. and i found some cool uh nerdy references so there's like a fake ghostbusters uh hearse and there's, there's a fake delorean Fake yeah. delorean yeah i found all those which has
1: hover wheels if you activate your left stick which you can't do on the racing wheel unfortunately <sighs> but yeah i think there is a left stick button
0: is there i yeah. haven't found it yet it's I'll a, have to it's, find out how to do that it's the click you can't like you know move around or anything with it but it's just a button press to replicate the the input Mm. Um,
1: yeah but um this there was a lot of dlc for this game mm -hmm. uh that's what all those extra cars you start off with are i haven't been using them i've just been using the cars you unlock as part of the main track but once i finish my burnout license then yeah i'm gonna start using those dlc cars
0: yeah now the the, you said it's just fun to drive around and explore and just see what's out there and um, what things there are to do that's made a lot better by the fact this game has an absolutely banging soundtrack um, it, It's eclectic uh, so you you range from Avril Lavigne's girlfriend which uh, you know is the best song in this thing <laughs> you know I, I'm no pop music fan but you know good music is just good music sometimes. It's incredibly catchy <laughs> such a good song. Uh, you've got hey, bands hey like.
1: Hey, you, you, I could be your girlfriend. <laughs> you- I was actually going to open the show with that, but I had just woken up, so I forgot. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> and uh, you know, you've got uh, great metal bands. So you've got things like Faith No More, Epic, which is just a you know undisputed classic. There's Guns and Roses, the song that the game is pretty much <laughs> named after. Uh, always good for racing games is Jason Nevins' remix of Nerd's Rockstar. Uh, that, that's been in a few racing games throughout the year and that, that's just a delight to, to speed around in um, one you probably and there's re-
1: all, all the emo music that just instantly places this game in the late 2000s yeah. <laughs> uh, there is
0: the there are some upbeat stuff you, you got the pigeon detectives I'm not sure if you'd be familiar with those as an American they were like a British indie band who hmm. uh, took a lot from one of my favourite groups the Cribs which is also a band you've probably never heard of yeah, their song on it uh, called I'm Not Sorry is, is great. Uh, and there's, you know, there's, like, the heavy metal stuff as well. but uh, it's, it's not stuff I would listen to, but I enjoy in the context of the gameplay. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, it's, it's really well done. Um, on the announcer, um can't remember his name. I'm just going to call him John Burnout. Uh, is this the guy that voices the directs?
1: I don't think so. I think... He sounds he, so it's similar just a film. generic announcer voice, I don't know.
0: He's got, he's got the same sort of gravelly twang. Uh, and I don't know. If oh, I was right.
1: His name is DJ Atomica. I was like, ah. I don't think that's his name. Okay. Uh, Mark uh, Hildreth is an actor beneath the radio. Can. Oh, he was in he did the same character in the SSX games. Okay. Uh, no Nintendo. No. Mm. Nope. He's just uh, a voice actor. He's been in just a lot a of guy.
0: stuff. Well, in my head canon, he's the Nintendo director. So yeah, just uh, it's, it's just a fantastic game, and like the port is incredible. Like uh, it runs at you know 60 frames per second, everything's smooth. I've had no slowdown, no glitches, uh, even with like the the kinds of crashes that you have on here with the takedowns, and there's a lot of mayhem. It just runs smooth as day. That shouldn't be a surprise. Giving it was a, a last-gen game, but uh, I'm glad this is the entry that they have ported over for sure. Um, I know a lot of people like uh, Revenge. Is it? Uh, as a as someone who plays a lot of uh, sim racers, uh, this is uh, I, I do appreciate a good arcade racer as well, and this this is definitely a very very good one. Um, it it, it kind of makes me want Ridge Racer to make a return as well it's got that same sort of you know just like loose wieldy handling where turning a corner is meant to be done sidewards at full speed um yeah anything you want to add
1: just that i did not think this would be the kind of game i would like and then i really liked it and also paradise city is, is kind of a terrifying place mm-hmm. because there are no pedestrians which is good because this would be a grand theft auto left level horror mm-hmm. <laughs> if there were uh e- even the cars don't seem to have anybody driving them <laughs> so I-, I have questions about this world it's kind of a terrifying place but uh, <laughs> it, it takes no, place it's, it's in a,
0: the car's universe
1: i guess it must <laughs> but uh this is what gritty realism looks like to the car's to lightning mcqueen uh but anyway uh don't dismiss this game if you're not into car games like i did like i i I really regret that i didn't play this 12 years ago when it was new because i would have been super into it uh but i wouldn't have played it on my racing wheel
0: if i had so (laughs) it's good but it's it's almost like it's an open world car racer like that that's the type of handling you're looking at Mm -hmm. yeah um we should also mention the different types of cars in different classes that I think you can use in all the races, but uh, they're, they're specialised, so there's, you know, you've got, you know, you're good all-rounders which is kind of what you start with, you've got speed cars uh, there are heavies which are better for doing takedowns, and they've all got like, different plays on how the boost system works, like the speed car you can't use the boost until the meters fall whereas on the normals you can use it whenever you like, the heavies get bonus, uh, boost um, Gathering, you know, when you do, you do dangerous stuff like uh, speed on the wrong side of the road, or you know, having oh, this. Oh, okay.
1: I thought there was the trick cars, which your boost meter goes up when you do tricks, like mm-hmm. you know, jumps and stuff like that. And then there's the aggression type cars, where mm-hmm. I thought what that did was the meter refills when you take out another car. But I found that that was happening with all the car types. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's obviously easier to do it with the aggression car types. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't I'm
0: gonna. Don't quote me that I've got the right ability matched to the right yeah. car either. I'm just <laughs> just highlighting that they're different.
1: But there's there's room to play how you want, but like yeah. I'm doing, I'm focusing mostly on races right now. But I've also been trying some other events, like there's like a man hunter mode, I think it's called, even though there are no men in this game, <laughs> uh, where you have to reach a, a destination on the map while two or more cars are trying to kill you, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, those are really interesting. I, I've been having a hard time with those with the
0: speed-type cars because those are really fragile. But Even the standard ones are bad for that. They, they yeah. w- When you first lose one, he tells you what type of car you need.
1: Yeah, yeah I need to go back to the junkyard and grab an aggression-type car to do those. So, but basically what I'm focusing on right now is, is the the races because they, they have me going around the city because I do want to find my way around this city so I'm not constantly looking down at the map to see where my next turn is. Mm-hmm. So I would like to know my way around paradise city so i can i can generally get around without slavishly following the map
2: yeah uh
0: but yeah cracking game great port looks great runs great plays great uh it's a massively big double thumbs up from me Uh, i think like you say even people who don't like races typically will get a kick out of this especially if they enjoy just exploring and driving around to or, or playing a game with a great soundtrack. But, you know, it's one of those little simple pleasures that uh, is definitely sated in Burnout Paradise. Yeah, the the port quality was like completely unknown up until release. Uh, and, you know, I, I was prepared to, to risk it because it was just something I wanted to play. I'd bought the wheel, I wanted something to play with the wheel. And, uh, yeah, haven't been disappointed. <laughs>
1: Uh, just related to the release of Burnout Paradise, is EA has announced that they are going to release seven, in the next yes. 12 months, EA will release seven games on Switch, which
0: we, we should have covered this in the news, really, but yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, it's all right, I can go here. Um, which uh, we gave EA a pretty hard time late last year mm-hmm. <laughs> when uh, their, somebody in an executive capacity made a very ridiculous statement about nobody wants to play ea games on switch they are now going to release seven games on the switch including burnout paradise and coming in fall is apex legends their free to play uh battle royale game uh and they're going to be five other games one of them's probably going to be fifa uh, yep. but fingers crossed that those other four are going to be mass effect dragon age dead space uh, yep. not enough numbers to fill those unless they're counting a trilogy as one game but mm-hmm. anyway uh excited to see what those games could be.
0: They'd have to do, like, Mass Effect as the trilogy, surely, because that's how they're selling it everywhere else, but then again, they know they'll make money if they sell them individually. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, uh, and Apex Legends has crossplay as well, I believe. They are working on crossplay for Apex
1: Legends. They have already stated, "Oh, it runs really well on Switch. It looks really great on Switch." Which you know we hear that about every Switch port. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Apex Legends, it, it, it's not as successful as Fortnite, certainly, but it, it has a following. It's doing well, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a very different style of battle royale game from Fortnite. So I'm I'm happy to see it coming.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's good. So, uh, yeah, before we move on to, uh, you know, closing the show, I just wanted to make a quick prediction. Um, so Persona 4 Golden, surprise, launched on uh, PC just last week. Uh, I've bought it. I've been playing it again. Uh, I love Persona 4 Golden. It's one of my favorite JRPGs of all time. Uh, my prediction is that at some point uh, this year, Persona 4 Golden will launch on Switch. Uh, But I'm going to make this a more specific prediction, because, you know, uh, I think that it will be announced as part of a Persona 5 Royal is coming to Switch. But you can play Persona 4 right now. I just want that on record. (laughs) I believe it,
1: but I'm not going to
0: stake my year on it (laughs) (laughs) i i just i i've had this thought all week and i just want it on record somewhere uh not least so if it comes true everyone can call me a genius and if it doesn't i can just fade into the obscurity that i so enjoy (laughs) i never said that you can't prove it (laughs) (laughs) cool so andrew what are you playing this week
1: uh the Kind of the last game from the golden age of 16-bit first-person PC shooters. Duke Nukem 3D is coming to Switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duke Nukem Zero, I think that was what it. No, in, eh, whatever that last Duke Nukem game that came out. That was terrible. Nobody liked it. Forever. Uh, yeah. Duke forever. forever. Duke Nukem forever. That's right. Not a great game in many ways uh, not least because its humor was still trapped in the 1990s Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm wondering how I'm going to react to this game because I I have not played the original Duke Nukem since, I shouldn't say the original Duke Nukem I have not played Duke Nukem 3D since the 1990s so (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to react to it uh, now here in 2020 uh, but I remember playing it, I remember enjoying it uh, so I'm going to be checking that out and I've seen reports that Star Wars Episode One Racer is supposed to be out next week as well mm-hmm. uh, it's not anywhere on the eShop right now, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen uh, no. so maybe that one if it does come out, I'll be playing that too
0: Nice, uh, I'm looking forward to that uh, I have that on N64 uh, I originally played it on PS1 um, in terms of Duke Nukem, I saw on the store that it's like half price at the moment. I think that was a pre-order. I don't know if it's actually out. Um, it's half
1: price until like June, July seventh. So it's yeah. it's half price for the first two weeks. It's out, cool. uh, which is the main reason I'm getting it right away. Otherwise, I would I would wait like I waited on Doom. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, uh, definitely tempted. But uh, I th- played through it on Vita, I think, as well. So that might be recent enough that I don't want to revisit it. Me, I'm just going to keep going on Liberated and XCOM. XCOM's my, my favourite thing at the moment, uh, aside from burnout. But <laughs> yeah, XCOM's just like, uh Yeah, uh, I like that game a whole lot. And I'll uh, keep you posted on my progress uh, want I get a bit deeper in it. I just want to know for certain that I'm out of that little uh, hump that I feel I have to get over.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the End Focus podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, because that really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively End Focus community. And you can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. You can also listen to the other GamePodular community of shows, including the Power of X for Xbox News and Playstate for PlayStation News. Both of those should be picking up Steam in the coming months as the new Xbox and PlayStation consoles hit the market. If you'd like to support the GamePodular network as a whole, you can buy us a coffee, and details are on our website, thanks in advance, and you can also submit to our Patreon but there is no content locked behind that Patreon. It is purely to support the show. This episode was edited by Craig Wendell, and you can follow him on Twitter at Craigety Craig, and you can follow his professional music career at Windmills at Dawn. If you want to follow the hosts of Enfocus individually, you can follow Andy at Flame Roast Host, and I am at Play Critically. Hey you, you, I could be your girlfriend